Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Avon. And I'm Mark. We are fascinated by language, etymology, history, literature, science, and the wonderful and intriguing connections between all those things. On our podcast, The Endless Knot, we've chatted about ancient color perception, the way Star Wars The Force Awakens connects to Norse saga and Roman epic, the origin of Halloween, Greek, Latin, and Old English words for farmyard animals, brewing beer and baking bread, and much more. We've also interviewed a bunch of wonderful guests, like historian Janice Liedel, playwrights David Hine and Irene Sankov, musician James Andean, anthropologist Stephen Lay, and writer Paul Anthony Jones. Come join us as we explore the connections in the world around us and sip a few cocktails along the way. Find the Endless Knot podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and elsewhere, or visit alliterative.net for more information. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the part four of our series of Red Dawn, the tale of the Russian Revolution, and Lenin, and how the Soviet Union came to be. You see, it's kind of a kind of a mistake for me even to portray this as a one Russian Revolution, because we have been talking about a single Russian Revolution already, the one of 1905, and over here, even in 1917, there were two revolutions in this year. For one... There was one in the 11th of March, 1917, uh, 26th of February, by the old Julian calendar, and October Revolution in 1917, 7th of November, which happened by the old calendar, 25th of October, which is why it's called, as, which is why it's known as the October Revolution. And you see, these two things really left a scar in the world and created the Soviet Union as we know it. And this is why we're here. We're here to explain all of this to you people. And um, it's kind of interesting because I've been thinking about modern day politics too, and I've been tying all this in. And even though, even though I will make a PDRP podcast and I will do my best to not get involved in modern day politics in this episode, but I'd like to, I'd like you to, to think about what all these revolutions might mean for today's situation. Because, for example, alternative facts or press not reporting on things wildly enough or these fake news and all these all these crazy stories and press manipulations and, and the government lying to you, all these things is something that Soviet Union lived through all of its period of time. And this is why I don't really trust any Western Soviet historians who tell about this period of time. So, think about this. I lived in a country which basically consisted of nothing but pure lies coming out of press and the government and everything, and, and the government control, the press, was terrible. But this is how it began, and I think it's important to know this, because you can draw a lot of parallels here. But the most important thing is that people really should learn from all of this, because like I posted on Twitter... Walls work both ways. 
I mean, hey, I was um, all for pro-Trump when he was for stricter immigration controls, because I, I uh, live in a small country and we love stricter immigration controls. But this wall idea is just simply ridiculous. It's just, it's not going to work. It's going to cost a lot of money and, uh, well, you'll see. Backfighting and, and weird stuff is what we live through and no politician is to be trusted whether or not you're left or right. And sometimes you get the extra weird politicians who might be malicious but might be misinformed. And this is also a theme of today's episode if you think about it. Because Russian history is is like full with a lot of these wars and revolts and everything. But what happened in 1917 in Russia was something like completely new. It was a revolution two revolutions, actually, and a civil war. The situation there, the political situation in that time's Russia, was just so heated up that it was impossible for not for it not to explode. And there are a few facts that we can talk about if we want to look at the blame for all of this revolution and facts and the, like, previously mentioned civil war. First off, there was a lot, there was, after this 1905 revolution, there was a huge lack of state authority. Basically, you know, after our friend Nikki II massacred people who just went went to him with, with peace and everything, uh, and just wanted some reforms, he, he massacred them, as we mentioned in the 1905 episode. And people really mistrusted him. A lot, because this they they disrespected the very position of Tsar. It's not like they really hated the Nicholas II. No, 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 they did. But think about this: the situation in Russia is is uh, heightened up and and uh, stressed out, and everything is so focused and and so heated up that even though if, if Tsar Nicholas II would have died at that point, and you'd have another Tsar, then even then the Tsar would have to go. This is the point where the position of Tsar was undermined to its, like, nothing else, really. So, this is the thing where people have lost all hope that any reforms shall come through the Tsar. And secondary, which is also important, and it's important in modern day, well, I don't know, most most Western countries, it's the fact that the Russian cities the were clearly and... Uh, clearly and prominently more developed than the Russian rural regions. You see, the idea was like this. Uh, the Basically, Russian rural regions provided the food for the cities and everything, and Russian rural regions provided ores and minerals and all those resources for the cities, but the cities and the czar and the government completely neglected the rural regions. Do you see the parallels here? Uh, it's kind of weird to speak about all of this in this political situation, but yeah, you you have to think about all these issues. And hey, at least at least I'm honest, and I'm telling you what I think about this. But yeah, Tsar Nicholas II really, really put put a huge impact on the urban population, kind of the factory workers and the intelligentsia. But it was the rural regions who fed the country, and it was the rural regions who were the, who were oppressed the most. And, at the same time, basically, they even started lacking food because it was a part of the World War I. And I'm not getting into World War I right now, and I'm not going to get into World War I in this podcast. But when the food starts to run out, and everything is just terrible, and the people who can give you the food are the most oppressed people around, yeah not gonna lead to a happy ending. So, of course, mass famines and disease start to happen just in addition to this nice war with Germany. So the Russian people were tired of warfare. The discipline in the army was just dwindling with each day. And obviously, if you don't have any army unity or discipline in the army, well, then you can't really wage a good war, you know. And... Obviously, the Tsar's army had very extreme losses. 
despite the fact that the Russian Imperial Army at that point was the largest army in Europe. It was so large it could really impress the opponents. It was just crazy huge. Just like, you know, in all times. But the, its logistics were just non-existent. The soldiers lacked food. Like, basic food materials and everything. The Russia had it actually way worse than other countries in the First World War because of this lack of internal infrastructure and lack of logistics. So, while the, all this grumpy, grumpy dissatisfaction with the regime grew, uh, in the 1917th January already, you could see a lot of demonstrations and riots and, and like fires starting to go up everywhere. Strikes were becoming more and more common every day, and with the strikes went the dissatisfaction and the disillusionment with the existing establishment. The people had been wanting for a, for a long time already for the Russia to leave the war, but the Tsar government really insisted on the necessity of waging war. Now, at the same time, the Minister of Internal Matters of Internal Affairs, Protopopov, together with uh, some some people of from the cabinet uh, who who thought like him about the necess- necessity of the war and everything they really wanted to to make make sure everyone was, everyone was kind of peaceful and orderly but by this point it was a failed idea russia by this point was already a failed state uh, now even the even the minister of education ignatyev who was sort of a closer person to the Tsar, uh, he tried to motivate Tsar Nicholas II to change the government in such a way to, to induce reforms so that some trust from the people could be gotten back for it. But, obviously by this point, the Tsar, our good old friend Nicky, didn't really understand the real situation in the country, even though he had killed a bunch of them, but this is what my sources say, because uh, they try to justify the Tsar Nicholas actions by the fact that, oh, Tsar must have misunderstood what was going on, he was really a good guy. No, he wasn't a good guy. He was misled, and he himself wasn't a capable ruler, and he just did try to make some order happen, but it failed. It, it couldn't have succeeded it couldn't have worked either way. He was just there and trying to, like, arms flailing around, do something. And that something failed and irritated the people even more. Because even though his intelligentsia, his intelligence agencies, gave him constant reports, like streamlined constant reports, about what's going on, about all the riots, he never seems to understand the way of how things are and what he should do. He never seems to be understanding how things were and what could he do even. So our Tsar is really concerned about the safety of his people and safety of his government. But he's not very competent about this. But you see, he really was worried about his capital, the Petrograd, right now known as St. Petersburg. And the safety of the city was extremely important to him because he knew that if that would fall, his government as a whole would fall. It w- the, the safety of Petrograd was a vitally important strategic step, strategic point there, which was entrusted to a certain general named Kabalov. The most important objects in the city were fortified with artillery with the hopes that, you know, they would be enough that to defend it from the aggressively aggressively organized and aggressively thinking people. That obviously proved not enough, but it's important that, again, once again, our good old friend Nikki was very well prepared to just fire cannons at the populace. So in Petrograd, St. Petersburg, at the 11th of March, 1917, or the 26th of February by, by that time, uh, in the, it all began there, and in the beginning, it was just a minor demonstration there, which was basically all about, you know, disregarding the rights of women. Yes, it was all of this Bolshevik revolution, everything begins, uh, begins with a protest against the rights of women and the disregard of these rights by the government. 
but very very soon after this this whole protest thing turned around and decided to go in a completely different different direction because a lot of a lot of protesters joined them this this small protest which began there and even though previously there had been strikes and actions of protest this one was a spontaneous action just just a random one, one of a bunch of random protests you see a bunch of random protests about various issues but to this one to this protest this is the big one and a lot of people joined these protests mostly they were workers they were they were yelling a lot of loud proclamations such as <clears throat> down with the czar give us bread down with the hermanos down with war down with government and 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 uh, all of this all of this uh, starts starts with with this small protest action but in this 11th of march protest the army of the Tsar opened fire against the protesters with the artillery and everything. They have they have made a Petrograd, the St. Petersburg fortress down by this point, essentially. They have artillery there and military. And they fire against the people. Again, for the second time, Tsar Nicholas II decides to shoot his own people down. Now, after after this step, after this major mistake... A lot of people from the army really just rebelled against their own government and went down to the streets. These army people were the main source of power there. They disarmed and killed policemen and actively participated in the future demonstrations. The army people who decided that enough is enough and we will not fire against our own people. Instead they fired against policemen who were basically government's agents to shoot at their own populace. So the army went on and started fighting against the police. And the revolution just grew after that. Especially after the, all the peasants and the rural people joined in. Because they were the most oppressed of everything. They were the most oppressed people in the Russian Empire. And they had suffered from a single failed revolution already. And this fact that the rural population, the farmers joined in, that was crushing for the Tsar. Because by this point, it had lost most of the trust it had with a lot of people. Most of Russia really, really hated everything. But, while all of this is happening, Tsar still doesn't want to read his reports, and still doesn't want to believe the true state of things. Now, Tsar Nicholas II, he was really weirded out for a while. And only after four days in the 15th of March, he started to understand what was going on. And based on the terrible situation in the, in the country, which, uh, which has just turned into mass rights and like, you know, 1905 went all over again. He decides to give his throne to his brother Mikhail. But Mikhail apparently asks the Tsar, well, what are you going to do? I mean, the government... All of the people hate the Tsar. You have fucked people over so many times. You have shot at peaceful protesters once again. You have shot them with cannons. What's going on? Uh, this is insane. Being being the Tsar of Russia is the most dangerous task ever. And not getting any guarantees of his own personal safety. Tsar Nicholas II's brother, Mikhail, just refuses the throne. See, Nicholas II hoped that, you know, if his government has made some mistakes, then, you know, maybe if the throne will be taken over by his brother, then, you know, it would seem like the situation in Russia would be, like, getting a bit better. But the situation had turned into such a way that no one of the Romanov household wanted to be the Nagazar in Russia. So, in this situation... The power was taken over in uh, basically 14th of March, one day before he decided to go give throne to Mikhail. But this was that was late decision already. So in the 14th of March, the new temporary government was established there, and the temporary committee in the in the which consisted of of about one third of the government government Duma, 
members were there, but they took over the power. They basically took all the executive power from the Tsar, and then Tsar tried to play it back by giving the power to Mikhail. But that didn't work. And uh, obviously they took the power just one day before he offered the throne to his uh, brother Mikhail. But, you know, if you weren't in their circles, it just kind of makes sense. And now, now, we go, have to go back to our little old good friend Lenin. Hello, Lenin. Here we are again. So, Lenin was actually very confused about all the situation. Lenin was honestly surprised and not prepared for all of this. And the revolutionary magazine Pravda, you know, which would happen to be later the official magazine and the official press source for the news in the Soviet Union, Lenin in Pravda writes at this point that <clears throat> the basic question of every revolution is the question about who rules the country. And also, at this point... Lenin kind of felt when this revolution was happening that Russia has become the <clears throat> the most liberated and the most free of all the warring, war, warring states of the planet Earth. Now, even though the massive revolts and massive strikes kind of calmed down just a bit when the, when the temporary government had started working and, you know, when they put a lot of effort to do some famine relief at this point. But this thing which happened basically after the end of Romanov era was just the calm before the storm. Lenin wrote that in Russia, there are two governments at power. In Latvian, it's called Divvaldib. And it's basically two gov- it's It's like two governments, dual governments, essentially. And this meant this temporary government, which were the officials from the previous Duma, appointed by the Romanovs and the Tsar and everything, and the Soviets. You know, Soviet Union is called like that because of these Soviets, these socialist worker, worker, farmer, military units, who were just that. They were Soviets, who were like, hey, we are a bunch of workers, we're gonna decide together what's going on. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, at this time, Lenin wrote that behind these Soviets, a purely proletarian power was behind. Like, purely proletarian power, purely people's power was behind these Soviets, unlike this Duma. Because the Duma was appointed by the Tsar, and the Duma was there because of the Tsar. But the Soviets were there because spontaneously, you know, you have a village and you have like 20 villagers come together and say, hey, we represent the villagers. And now we're going to do what the village wants. And it's like these random, you know, you have a revolution going on and these are these random small bunches of people who basically just come together and they want to do something and they want to hang around and they want to declare what they want to do. And Lenin specifically noted that all of this Duma thing and all this Soviet thing was kind of a contradiction and that these Soviets were way more closer in the tradition of 1871 Paris Commune, which Lenin really, really respected. And this is where the seed of socialism begins. This is where the seeds of Soviet Union are sown in these, these well, Soviets. Now, as the, as the government of Germany, by this point, have been financing Lenin and his movement, 
by this point, and they had continued to do so at the point of the February February Revolution, because all of all of these Soviets and everything they were very influenced by Lenin. He was their their ideological leader. Uh, they decided that uh, Lenin must be transported to Russia as soon as possible. Now, of course, Germans just did that, and they just basically put put him on a train and transported him from from their controlled territory to Russia with a special train without stops, and the train was all covered covered up so that no one knew who, who was inside it, and it was specifically guarded. But by this point, the German government were going, oh yeah, we're, we're gonna get Lenin there, and it's gonna be awesome, because this is how we're gonna get Russia out of the war. So, in the 23rd of March, with a plumbed up, uh, you know, locked, very specifically secret train wagon, from Zurich, Switzerland, through Sweden and Finland, Lenin was just put on this train to go back to Petrograd, or St. Petersburg in Russia. And on the 3rd of April, Lenin was there. (laughs) And exactly at this point, when he was like there, this temporary government, who had taken over from the Tsar after all these massive rebellions had declared that, you know, all the previous revolutionaries of 1905, yeah, you can come back to Russia. So his return is somewhat legitimate, but it's... It is kind of weird when you think about what he'll do to this temporary government and the Duma. You see, because of because of all of this, sometimes in the historical literature that I've been reading, you can notice the fact that a lot of people think that Lenin was a German agent which basically was lobbying the interests of Germany in Russia. Well, you know, it. I can understand where this thing of this train of thought is going, but it doesn't seem so. It seems like he was just, you know, as we've learned in previous episodes, an opportunist, a person who just knew how to gather money from the Germans to further his own ends. A person who knew how to lobby his point of view very professionally. Basically, he really thought that Russia must leave the war. At the same time, a lot of Russian patriots at this point didn't really understand why they should leave the war, because if they would leave the war, they would have to give a lot of land to the Germans. Or, you know, declare independence, as actually happened with my country, But still, by this point, Russian patriots and these Russian kind of patriotic feelings are obscured to him and he's not friendly with them. Now, uh, but still, because of this, this fact that he propagated this idea of Russia leaving the war, he acquired a lot of, basically millions of Deutschmarks. Even before revolution and after it, he received a lot of help from the German government because of all of this. And I really don't know how to comment on this one because, see, at one point I can understand Lenin being a bit of a peacenik and stuff because of socialist reasons. But at the same time, seeing the kind of the hostile attitude towards the Western Europe, this seems somewhat like an opportunistic trick. This seems something like... Like, you would do, you would say anything you could do, and anything you, you want to do, just so you get some more money. <laughs> and you know what? This would also be in the spirit of, of Lenin and how he operated. Because, for example, Lenin also composed the so-called Thesis of April, where he explains his views on various questions. I mean, and we mentioned them in the last Red Dawn episode. For, for starters, that... Uh, <clears throat> Supporting the democratic government would be a mistake. And also, if we if we just say that taking the Tsar of power would be enough, that is a huge mistake as well. It was obviously very necessary to move in the direction of pure communism. Lenin declared his pure and open goal at this point. He didn't care about taking the Tsar down. No, no, no. His point was acquiring power. And all of this is kind of kind of put in there in this one big slogan, into this one big thesis that he had. All power to the Soviets. Because he was a Soviet man, he really stood for the Soviets, and 
by this point, he doesn't really care about the plight of the farmers. He couldn't have, really. Again, as we learned in the previous episodes. But he's there to acquire power, to get more power for himself. To grab things, to make sure that his his own personal idea is the best. That his personal idea wins. He goes there to ensure that his very own, very strict personal idea is the one that beats up all other ideas. And you know, it's kind of weird because this temporary council, they're discussing at this point how the life is going to go and how how things are going to happen. And a lot of them are very interested into, for example, American constitution and how that would work. They wanted the truly democratic government for once. Lenin would have none of this. Lenin instead worked with all the might and all the political power that he had acquired. Uh, about he, he really spoke about getting more political power using violence and force. He really he, he really started by this point just after this February Revolution while he's on the way to to Russia and while he's just there, his his writing starts to become more and more hostile at every moment. He writes about how you should take off all the land from the independent farmers, also known as kulaks, because kulaks stole his cow. Let's not let's not forget that one. And you know, take off all the land away from kulaks and independent farmers and give it to the farmer Soviets. Why? Because of course that that's how things should go, according to Lenin. And by this point. Uh, Lenin also really puts on the fact that this his his represented Social Democratic Party should really start to change their name and turn into this communistic party. Do we all know by this point? After the return from his exile, Lenin starts to actively actively push on his positions, actively make sure that his positions are strong strong enough to take over this power. See, the situation in Russia by this point had changed radically. There was no czar, there was no monarchy by this point. They were thrown over by the taking of the Winter Palace and everything going on. And there was no real actual power because this temporary council really didn't didn't do that much. There were these two main forces of, of governance who were just created after the revolution which just happened instantly and spontaneously. The temporary government, which, by the way, really, continued to be quite monarchistic. And by the way, this temporary government, even though they, they were looking at the American Revolution and American Constitution and all these things and wanted to make a somewhat democratic government, at least how they postulated this, at the same time, these very people postulated that, you know, we are proud to be in the, this great war together with the British and the French. And we are proud of monarchism, and we are proud of being the blood of the nobility, and we are all proud to be nobles. <laughs> because, obviously, that what, one thing that history has proven, uh, proven to us is that if you judge people by their blood, this is always going to go correct and nice. Right? Right? Guys, someone buy this idea, please, please. I'm kidding here, obviously. Now you see, they also believe that um, all this revolution it was done. They believe the revolution was over because because of all this all this rebellion thing and all these things that happened there, which are riots and 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 all, all riots, rebellions, strikes, and and people just joining with the party. They believe it was over. They believed it was done, and yeah, I'm not going into very, I'm not going into very many details of all this situation because, again, Dan Carlin has spoken about this period in his Blueprint for Armageddon series. I think it was episode four or five, one of these episodes. He speaks about this February Revolution in detail. But the thing is, the February Revolution of how exactly Tsar got thrown down and how the people got power. It really is of, of least concern to us. Because this very power, this very power by the people, power by these socially democratic parties, power by the people who wanted just the czar gone and something democratic in place, that will all be gone, you see. That will all 
that will all stop existing soon. This is somewhat of a Lenin's biography in the, the history of the Soviet Union, and we'll get into much more detail in the Civil War or something, but this at this point, Lenin is back, there is this temporary government, there are the Soviets, and Lenin wants to work only with the Soviets. A lot. Also, the Bolsheviks basically control the Petrograd Soviet. Like, the Lenin's Lenin's supporters, because by this point, you know, Lenin and Trotsky get into troubles, and, uh, because Trotsky's not a revolutionary, but Trotsky was more of a, hey, let's get down with the Tsar and then figure out what to do with revolutionary. Lenin at this point is like, no, we must go full communism. And this Soviet of Petrograd, St. Petersburg, it was like a huge one, because it was the capital at this point. They had about 3,000 members. And it was more accessible to the community itself of St. Petersburg and didn't kind of distance themselves from it as others did. Because, you know, if if you live in a village with a hundred farmers and you're one of the ten farmers in the Soviet and you've grown up in an environment where there, are on, where there are only serfs and the nobles, then you're like, hey, well, there are no nobles anymore. But I am a better serf than all of you. <laughs> It's like, I'm a better farmer because, you know what, I'm in the Soviet and I represent your interests, and if you didn't agree with me, I will shoot you dead. Because I can. And this is how it went on. And at this point, in Petrograd, in St. Petersburg, they have all these members, but it's accessible. So, they just get more and more members there. They try to be as accessible as they can and as nice as they can, because this is the capital's Soviet. So... (laughs) It it kind of it kind of grows exponentially, unlike other more elitist union, uh, more elitist Soviets. Now, at the beginning, the Soviet was led by a social democrat called Kerensky and two Mensheviks, Chekidze and uh, and Skobelev, and later even our good old friend Trotsky, who will end his life with a with a pickaxe in his head in Argentina, if not mistaken. But yeah, at this point, even Trotsky managed to get up, get himself up in this, uh, this chairman of of this Soviet. But Trotsky is a very separate story, and I think I will spend the whole next episode talking about just Trotsky alone. And uh, yeah, quote quote me on this one. Next episode is going to be about Trotsky because he he has a very special role in all this situation. But. The thing is, they're there, but they're not Bolsheviks. They're not Lenin supporters. Even though you might think Trotsky and Lenin could be on the same note, they're not. So, there are these two weird structures of government. See, this temporary temporary council, temporary government, which has Menshevik influence and nobility influence, and then there are these very common Soviets. Which uh, which have just Lenin supporters, and obviously they start fighting for power. So the Soviets kind of win this 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 uh, this whole argument for all this because they these these Soviets they become more and more open to people because of course the repression started at this point and the more active supporters of these Soviets get put down by bullets in their heads because obviously, you know, it's cool that you're all radical and shit but be more friendly to the people or else we will not be able to rid the temporary government from its power and thus institute honest socialism, comrades honest fucking socialism and so obviously all this all this fight for power and all this temporary government and everything it also included a lot of jokes about all this situation. Like, jokes about the revolution were very popular in the Soviet Union. And not so popular the, as the jokes about the Civil War, which will follow in future episodes. Oh, again, I have such a long list of details about which to make episodes in this show lately. But yeah, uh, in short, there were a lot of, lot of these jokes kind of uh, talking about this revolution, but putting it into, into a context of, uh, the, of the politics of those days, like this one. <clears throat> As it's known in the November celebrations, which followed after the fall of Khrushchev, and when Khrushchev was taken off from power, the Kreiser Aurora were basically, they, they wanted to transfer it 
through a canal to Moscow. But why? And the radio answers. <clears throat> oh, they've just needed to blast the, the new temporary government away. Because, again, no one really liked what happened after Khrushchev. And um, <clears throat> in Leningrad, right next to this, this winter palace, they're making a movie about this October Revolution. And, you know, the, the, the Bolsheviks are, are coming onwards, the, the cadets are getting back and they're shooting back, but somewhere in the background from, from the deep mob who, who are just watching, watching the, the filming of this movie, someone just screams, Hey, you guys! Hey, hey, cadets! Hold until the last man! And, and uh, another one. <clears throat> Two old Bolsheviks talking with each other. Oh, do you remember, Vasya, how we took the winter, winter, winter palace? And the other one just sits down for five minutes, sits down for ten minutes, pours himself a glass of vodka, drinks it, and says, Ugh, we were hasty, young, and stupid back then. Well, it's, it's not, not maybe as funny, but... <sighs> but but kind of kind of represents the cynical attitude towards towards everything, <clears throat> and like you know these whole anecdotes are about about the mood of the situation. I think, and and here's here's the final. I I won't bother you with with these anecdotes <laughs> much more. Don't worry. But here's the last one. So a uh, hundred year old mountain man, you know, living in the Caucasian Uralian mountains. He just you know meets meets in the mountains his old old good friend. And he says to him, well, you know, you you told me in, in the 1917 something about, you know, some nonsense in Petrograd where people were trying to do things with each other and it, 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 was, it was sort of stupid. Well, you know, what did it end with in the end? And this is a joke about, again, a lot of people in, in central Russia not even knowing what was going on. But this is kind of this is kind of interesting because jokes about nineteen seventeen it was weird, and it was kind of interesting because in later years, even though the government publicly celebrated what the events which I'm gonna be talking about right next, but it wasn't single minded it wasn't a single handed single handed like like success story or something. It was all about people looking back at these days and looking at revolutionaries and thinking, boy, these guys were dumb, and why did they do that? I mean, I don't know, I don't have a lot of lot of leg to go on this, but it seems so, at least from the jokes I've, I've read, because if you think about it, jokes are really, really there to explain the situation now. Anyhow, back to the real story. So... We're down to these Soviets and their their fight with power with the temporary government. So the Soviets uh, so the Soviets really just manipulated the people as well. They really didn't care about the political concerns or or the governmental institutions. They didn't care about politics as such, they didn't care about the institutions. They didn't really understand it properly, I think. The people wanted certain freedoms. And each of the groups of the society, like, kind of awaited from the power, from any of these powers at this point, either the temporary government or the Soviets, that, you know, they'll get supported and finally the, the, the country will be at peace, that Russia will be at peace and they'll just go back to the business as usual. But, so this just meant that no power who were for war, in this case World War One, were just they were just unable to rule. And the problem is that the temporary government, just as the ex-Tsar rulership, they had no support from the common people. Because they were for war because of all these nobles there. And another reason was, uh, because another reason of this was because this uh, temporary government, they really were there just to change the czar. They wanted the new czar and get the new constitution, maybe get a new constitutional monarchy, maybe get something like American Republic or something. 
But there were a lot of these people there who really thought that, you know, they needed a constitutional monarchy as well. But the Soviets were just openly stating that, hey, we don't need our czar, all the power to the Soviets, all, all, all everything is for, for proletariat, and we need all these things. So, at the end of this term, of this first temporary government, uh, there, there was basically, they, they were ended with the question of continuing the war. The Allies at this point, the Britain, France, and the Britain and France, they really pushed on to Russian temporary government uh, so that they would kind of continue the war, and so they decided that they would. But the Soviets, which were independent from this, this Duma thing by this point, completely independent, at this point, as these, te- as this temporary government decided that def- decided that they would need to, f- they would need to continue going on with this World War One, the Soviets forced to basically leave uh, two people to of this of this state, Guchkov and Milukov. So, with this point, the second temporary government was created, which was basically consisting of socially democrats and essers. Essers were socialists, but not communist socialists. They were just socialists. They were less radical and for democracy. And this government, this temporary government, really put themselves on the task to restore the discipline of the army and making a new assembly elections. All of these people really uh, wanted these elections, these new Elections which would restore kind of order and be democratic elections and that would uh, serve as the basis for the new government. They wanted them to happen as, as soon as possible, but making them making them faster and making them less prepared meant that a blatant corruption would be in place. And Bolsheviks were just waiting for this to happen. Lenin just wanted some hasty thrown up thing to happen. Because, you know, they just voted for a continuation of the war. We forced two people to resign, so now there's the second government there, and they want to make elections. Great, elections will mean chaos. And chaos means more power for the Soviets. And by this point, uh, the, the kind of the laws of Russian Empire were just in a mess. Because... Uh, the peasants wanted some land because they, they used to be served before and now there were farmers and they wanted some land for themselves from, from the lesser nobility. But there was a huge lack of laws in the agrarian questions. And this temporary government really didn't give out land to people. They wanted to uh, kind of acquiesce the support from the nobles. This is why Lenin and his supporters just, just motivated the, the farmers and the local peasants never were just to take the land. You know, it's like, Psst, kids, kids, you, you want to you wanna have some land? Hey, 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 Th- that guy has some land. Why don't you, you know, g- grab a pistol and, and shoot that guy and, you know, take his land? As uh, Lenin, by this point, as we have mentioned previously, is full-on complete terror. So, in the June of 1917, the first All-Russian Soviet Congress was opened. The main question was, well, whether or not we support this new temporary government. The Congress basically played out as previously any, uh, any operation or any Congress the Lenin has been a part of. It was a war between different camps. At one point there were the Mensheviks and Essers, and another one Bolsheviks. Basically, they were just arguing whether or not we should support the temporary government and how we, how we should achieve our goals. So, the results were that the representatives of the army and the people started to mistrust this temporary government. So, a new temporary government was created, a mirror one of them, and just a completely just old one was just thrown aside, and this time with this, with this old Kerensky at the front end as the prime minister. And Kerensky being one of the one of the old uh, essers, and this was kind of this. Uh, this was the uh, omen of what's to come. In September, in nineteen seventeen, September, Russia declared itself to be a republic, but it was basically a formal process because, in truth, in truth, uh, this this whole gig- ginormous territory, because by this point Russia was enormously huge. This country would need many, many years to actually to actually establish 
a, a reasonable and sensible democratic system which would be which would be kind of supported by the people. And they had no Republican Republican tradition whatsoever before this. And another thing was that in the Russian's regions, this whole government, according uh, after this Congress, it just didn't work. The police didn't work. The bureaucracy didn't work. Nothing worked, because everything that had worked before, all the institutions just stopped being there after the monarchy fell. There was chaos in Russia. There was major chaos in Russia, and even though that there, there in this in this Congress and everything, uh, the Mensheviks and SRs had won, and and they had like decided not to not to support the the, the existing temporary government, so they made their own. But they had decided to work in lawful means and lawful ways. But Lenin doesn't like losing, doesn't he? Lenin does not like. Does not like people figuring things out, because you see, one of the few one of the few tasks for this new temporary government was to make make a make a whole referendum and, and make a huge conference about deciding. Well, now we're a republic, but which way will we go? What our constitution will be? So this is where we'll come to October. This is where we'll come to the point. Or Lenin will just go to this temporary government and shoot them all up with machine guns because democracy is not for men like Lenin. Democracy is just for, you know, everyone else here. And I'm sorry, you know, this is this is where we're going to end our episode. But, and it might seem a bit hasty and maybe not as polished, but recent political events have driven me to this and... Uh, and we need to get through all this period. We need to set up the Lenin's return and everything. Because <laughs> next time, he'll just shoot a lot of people, take over power. And the very, very bloody and serious civil war shall begin. <sighs> all of this, in the end, is just so we all can learn about something. And that we could see that all this revolution, like any revolution was actually quite a huge mess. До свидания, товарищ. And see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The eastern border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits.